and welcome back to Autopsy of a Horror Movie. My name is Brecker, and today I will be starting the first of a series of episodes called What's Your Favorite Horror Trope? It is something that I have always found super fascinating about the genre is that there are just so many different horror tropes, and even when you get into the specific subgenres, you kind of uncover more and more just the myriad of different horror tropes and staples of them. One of the most uh, prolific ones and most popular is The Final Girl, but there are so many other ones. So I wanted to sit down and speak with other horror podcasters, horror directors, and just some like film bloggers and reviewers to discuss horror tropes and which ones stick out to them and why, and just kind of try to unwind and figure out what's, what's what we find fascinating about certain tropes. So I was lucky enough to sit down with a bunch of people. My original plan was to put the interviews all together and make it one big Mac Daddy episode and to where you, the audience, got to like bounce around and hear what all these different cool people that you know discuss horror films or make horror films or review horror films and what they had to say about it. But if you have been following me on Twitter and Instagram, my schedule is getting kind of crazy because I am now working on my master's and I'm about to do my defense here in in a matter of just a few weeks. So my schedule got a little curveball in it, but I have a bunch of these interviews recorded, so I figured I'll kind of release them slowly <laughs> instead of putting them all together. So today will be the first installment of What's Your Favorite Horror Trope? And I got to sit down with two really awesome guests and with two really cool horror tropes I think that you guys would be really interested in hearing. I got to sit down with Adam of The Great American Screen to talk about queer representation, and I got to talk to Orlean of Spooky and Strange to talk about creepy communities with a secret. I hope that you guys enjoy the conversations, and be sure to follow both Adam at The Great American Scream and Orlean at Spooky and Strange on Instagram and Twitter, and to follow their shows. Links for those sites will be in the show notes. All right, guys, we're going to first start out with Adam of The Great American Screen to talk about queer representation. Enjoy. I am so happy to be sitting down with Adam of The Great American Scream. Hello, Adam. Hello. Great to be here. Thank you so much for coming back. So what uh, kinds of horror tropes are we going to talk about today? Um, so I want to talk about something I always talk about on my own show a lot, but um, the idea, I guess, I don't even want to just say the queer-coded villain in horror films, just the queer-coded mm. character or presence, but more often than not, it is villains. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, like, we talk about queer-coding a lot in just when we talk about media and movies nowadays, but it's so interesting when it happens in horror when we talk about queer-coding villains, because the whole idea of a lot of horror villains is that they're like misfits outcasts from society or somehow not accepted. It's like the backstory for a lot of like slashers and stuff. Uh, they're just not accepted by general society somehow. Um, so it, it ends up like whether or not it's on purpose. Uh, <laughs> there's a whole lot of queer coded horror characters running around that uh, despite having those like problematic associations associations attached to it that queer people have really just like latched onto. Interesting. As, like mascots and symbols <laughs> for the community. Interesting. So what what would be some examples of this? 
Um, well, I mean, this isn't even, this is a bad example to start with, but uh, <laughs> one of the, because it's not even a villain, but the, just everything about the second Nightmare on Elm Street film, uh, Freddy's Revenge, mostly like our main character, but the whole like storyline about it of uh, his, the Jesse, the main character having like something inside of him that he's afraid of, of getting out or something that he's afraid that he will become. Uh, and there's a great documentary on Shudder called Scream Queen about the making of that film and uh, like how it affected this this lead actor who was queer and was also telling a story about a queer person, but also trying not to like make oh. it about a queer person, even though it totally was. Um, I think Hellraiser is another really good example that people don't really think of. Clive Barker, who is queer, was is pretty open about the fact that the whole look of the Cenobites in Hellraiser is inspired by like S and M clubs. Oh, um, interesting. And uh, like the whole thing about the Cenobites is that they can't differentiate between pain and pleasure, and they're kind of like pushing the limits, which kind of veers onto like a different like part of the queer community that is still like. A pretty like queer in practice just maybe not in the way that you would think of uh and again it's about you know like misfits and stuff and i think i mean we get classics too stuff like sleepaway camp which like despite like in a textbook definition of like what not to do as far as like <laughs> right. sensitivity about queer trans characters go every trans person that i've met loves sleepaway camp <laughs> <laughs> and um an interview with the vampire too oh uh, yeah yeah which is like that's not even I, I don't even consider interview with the vampire queer coding i just consider that to be just foremostly queer <laughs> yeah right it, it doesn't seem like it's coding very much yeah, yeah. no it's pretty blatant <laughs> because this is definitely a sort of trope i'm not super familiar with uh, like a lot, some of the franchises you brought up like i i'm familiar with sleepaway camp i uh, really do enjoy that movie but like things like other things you brought up like hellraiser i actually haven't really partaken in that franchise just because it's not my cup of tea exactly yeah <laughs> uh but so are there other do you wish that there was like more like variety of like these types of queer characters and horror besides them just being like the villains um because i find it interesting in horror because sometimes the villains are kind of like the stars of these movies like everybody kind of gravitates towards like their jason Voorhees and michael myers and like that's why people keep returning back to those franchises but it's kind of interesting for maybe some of the stuff that you've mentioned that it's not it doesn't exactly pan out that way for those types of movies yeah and it's interesting because uh like villain characters in both horror and in any genre are the ones that are more often than not queer coded um and like it happens with other characters too but uh that's kind of the one that uh we're supposed to be like oh like it, it's like queer coding villains not good just as a blanket statement, but um, when uh, like villains in the way they're crafted, especially in horror, because they're meant to be marketable, they're meant to be come franchises, um, and they're the draw of the movie. Like nobody's watching the child's play movies for the kid; we're watching for Chucky, right? Um, so, and even despite the fact that they're the villains, they inherently are lovable, mm -hmm. even if they're murderers, monsters, whatever, because studios want audiences to keep coming back and not only like coming back to see them but eventually in every franchise rooting for them there's a moment in that in every kind of like big horror franchise of just totally switching sides and actively rooting for the villain um and i think like 
by both like queer coding them because of this history that we have in film and in media of attaching like queer stereotypes to characters that are meant to be seen as evil doing that while also making these villains very lovable and marketable and big fan favorites kind of creates this weird storm of like yes like that character is queer coded and that's part of what makes them so awesome (laughs) (laughs) that like they're they like they're so like much fun and 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 different from like they're like more exciting than our main character i would think of rocky horror picture show like technically dr frankenfurter is the villain of that brad and janet are the heroes but everybody loves dr frankenfurter like (laughs) we're not rooting for brad and janet there we like them they're fine but we're all rooting for dr frankenfurter um and i think that the fact that uh the queer community in film especially in horror as like horror relies a lot on camp and around like cult film that has always been a big part of the queer community as well that uh we go back to these villains Mm -hmm. uh as because we see our like whether we like it or not there are parts of ourselves that we see in them because of the way that they're coded Mm -hmm. um and that we've kind of like adopted them in a sense uh as probably being you know in our minds less problematic than they really are um and whether or not like what influence that has on the film industry as a whole is a whole other conversation but um i we've kind of like adopted them (laughs) a a very a very sweet and kind of strange way (laughs) that that, that's great um i'm trying to think of if there's anything i wish that i've seen more some like some of the examples that you've mentioned um Mm -hmm. i also wish i've seen more of the uh like james wales movies uh the classic monster director who did frankenstein 31 the invisible man because mm-hmm. uh, i've heard that the bride of frankenstein which he also directed is a very uh like queer coded movie yeah bride of frankenstein i would definitely call a queer coded film just in uh i mean we talk the frankenstein films any film revolving around frankenstein at all talks a lot about like bodily autonomy and and your vision of yourself versus everybody else's visions of you and being Mm -hmm. seen as other Uh, and bride of frankenstein i think crosses that with just such a high level of of camp uh that it it kind of intersects for this like perfectly kind of queer coded story Mm. um because we we see stuff like that handled uh even less delicately in stuff like psycho and silence of the lambs where I think that's one of the biggest difference between these characters like Angela and Sleepaway Camp versus Buffalo Bill and which one of those characters that uh, queer and trans people choose to to latch latch onto and, and, and reclaim, as it were. Um, they kind of toe this line of like how sympathetic Angela is despite her being a villain and despite the way she's like coded mm-hmm. and written not being very good versus Buffalo Bill, who's... Like, there's nothing, you don't watch Silence of the Lamb and go, oh, my favorite part was Buffalo Bill. He's a terrible, terrible monster. And also right. Hannibal Lecter is a much more exciting villain. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I think that's, like, the most important, like, distinctive factor in between those two types. It's a really, like, thin line, but it's it's so interesting. And I think nowadays we see uh, a lot. I mean, we're, we're now kind of entering an age of of kind of just more overtly queer uh, horror and horror handling it uh, <laughs> a bit more delicately than perhaps it once did. 
but I think that's the the most important distinction. Yeah, and I think I think that's actually a really good comparison between those two characters that you just mentioned because Angela definitely is way more of like a sympathetic kind of character, and the I don't know like the comparisons between the two. I also wonder if the Sleepaway Camp sequels kind of helps that too because because they kind of yeah. handle because the sequels handle uh, handle like her identity like a little bit differently. I think is that right? Yeah, the sequels are interesting because they they the sequels Angela becomes way more of a villain, but it's very clearly not about her gender identity exactly. anymore. Yeah, it's like she's not a villain because she's in this gender crisis. She's a villain because she's very adamant about following the rules of camp right uh, yeah and it, <laughs> yeah that was like the thing that kind of like really stuck out about the first movie is that is like they needed to add in some other i don't know like what at the time was like like a weird factor about her so it's just you know add in this element mm-hmm. just to make her even scarier which you know is you know not, yeah. not great but in the thing with buffalo bill you know they're definitely deriving from a real life character because he was very much kind of like a ted bundy skin mm-hmm. uh which that was probably like the wrong like analogy to use for that character but yeah no <laughs> no, no, no i think you're exactly right yeah. and that's why buffalo bill is so messed up and the same thing with norman bates and that norman bates is another line that gets towed too because I, queer people do love norman bates um but there we do like norman bates is being queer coded versus him being trans coded are also two different things mm-hmm. and i think he's a lot more successfully queer coded than he is trans coded because that's where we veer into kind of like the oh he's crazy because he wants to be his mom dressed like a woman or whatever um that's where we veer into like the the, the dodgier and more problematic territory as opposed to his kind of like queer coding in the sense of his his otherness and how his uh like relationship towards himself and towards other people um that i think is a little bit more nuanced Mm. in a way that i'm sure they did not intend (laughs) like (laughs) that i'm positive that we have spun as a society to to make us feel better but if that's the way that we're going to interpret it now i'm I'm cool with that Are there any like good examples of of uh, like queer coding in characters that aren't villains in movies or in horror um, films? Yeah, I think Nightmare on Elm Street Two is one oh, of the yeah. best examples, and I think anybody who's interested in like queerness or horror and horror should go watch that movie. Um, and uh, because it is so much about the journey of of the main character, and like if you watch it and 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 know what you're you're watching for that you see it is about his journey coming to his identity even though like you know they don't they're not overt about it because of x y and z whatever factors um i think that's one of the the best examples um and there's not a ton others we get it kind of in movies like Jennifer's Body um but at least in mainstream film it doesn't happen as much um we get i feel like we get so much more queer coding in horror versus remote uh like explicit queerness because of horror's reliance on camp and just that like the whole thing is is it feels queer as opposed to like zeroing in on certain uh characters which is interesting because then we you go to talk about like queerness and camp as like a way to describe the film as opposed to a way to describe the character Gotcha. Well, thank you so much, Adam, for sitting down with me to talk about this. Um, I know that on your show, The Great American Scream, y'all have, you know, 
I'm trying to remember the title of the episode, but you have an episode yeah. talking about this. In, or yeah, it's called. I think it's called the 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 like LGBT ex horror pride special or something like that. But uh, as it, June is happening, we do have a bunch of episodes coming out uh, for Pride Month uh, coming up. We're going to do a deep dive into a Nightmare on Elm Street too, uh, as opposed and as well as a couple of other things, uh, talking a little bit more about uh, these tropes and why we keep seeing them and what's what's happening now. <laughs> Right. I, I just found it. It's episode 17 LGBT uh, by Horror Pride special. So yeah, uh, that so. one. And then we got a couple more coming out this month. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Adam. Everybody go check out that episode and their future episodes coming out this month and pretty much every episode of The Great American Screen. But <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Adam, so much. This was a lovely conversation. Yeah, lovely conversation. I could talk. All right. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you, Adam. It is always a pleasure whenever I get to speak with Adam to talk about the horror genre as a whole. He is incredibly knowledgeable about so many different facets of it. I really recommend everybody check out The Great American Scream. Adam, throughout the month of June, released a handful of episodes that were touching on the subject matter, such as he has an episode on Clive Barker, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, and Trans Representation in Horror. They're all available right now on his podcast feed, The Great American Scream. also want to plug that him and his co-host, Devin, did a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 commentary track that's available on their Patreon, which I am a patron for. I also wanted to throw in that since this interview, I have been able to watch The Bride of Frankenstein, and that movie is awesome. Probably one of the earliest examples of the sequel outdoing its predecessor. Highly recommend everybody to check it out. Now, let's transition into a different wheelhouse in horror. We'll be talking about creepy, closed communities with a dark secret. Get ready for this interview that I had with Orlean from Spooky and Strange. Enjoy. I'm so happy to be joined by Orlean of Spooky and Strange. Hi, Orlean. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. So which horror trope are you wanting to talk about today? I want to talk about creepy small towns with a secret. Ooh, very spooky. Very cultish. It can be. Um, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, to start out, I will just say everyone knows this trope, even if you don't think you do. It's wildly common. You've seen it everywhere, even if you can't think of it. And I think it's kind of timeless. Ooh. So one of my very first old examples is the legend of Sleepy Hollow. What is Sleepy Hollow if not a small town of people very much like each other going back generations? A town that's geographically isolated and they don't get many outsiders. And they harbor a strange secret. That is an excellent example. You know I love the, at least the movie and, and the book too, kind of, but the movie too, Sleepy Hollow. That's a very excellent example. Thanks. It was the first one I thought of because, you know, maybe Sleepy Hollow is the uh, great American short story, but I, I really think it's like the great American creepy town story. <laughs> <laughs> creepy town USA. Honestly, Creepy Town USA is like a super trope. And I'll actually oh. get into that a little bit, like why I think it is and why it persists even now in this time of like mega cities and the internet. Okay. But first, so for those of you who don't know Legend of Sleepy Hollow, some more familiar examples of this are Get Out, 
The Wicker Man, The Stepford Wives, and Twin Peaks. I, I kind of dig into this a little bit. It's hard to put all of those movies in the same list, but this trope is all about the slow horror of realizing that you're not among friends, that maybe you weren't paying enough attention, and that what you don't know can hurt you. Would you say that most protagonists in these stories are outsiders? Absolutely. This is one of the, I think, scariest situations to be in as an outsider, and that's why it can apply to anyone, anywhere. When are you more vulnerable than when you're in a different place with different customs and rules and you don't know what danger even looks like? Very true. Um, I think it kind of gets at this fear of like street smarts. Do we really have them? Can we survive in the world? Uh, can your common sense conquer my common sense? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is our common sense even at, related to the reality? <laughs> Are we sharing the same reality? Um, and to tie this to another modern example, that question is kind of the entire premise of Cabin in the Woods. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm interested in your, uh, <laughs> in your thoughts on this. So Cabin in the Woods isn't really small town with a secret in the traditional way, but that kind of makes sense because Cabin in the Woods takes every trope and turns it somehow. And so mm -hmm. instead of creepy small town full of people with a secret, it's... Uh, spoilers um i don't know a base of uh strategists <laughs> fighting monsters but it's still um the the premise is the same you're vulnerable because you don't know your surroundings you don't know who's watching you you don't know who's seeing what and you mm. don't know what to look out for i think that's like a really good like element of that is like you not knowing the rules of where mm -hmm. you're at and like what you're doing that is I don't know, like a faux pas or even just like that was dangerous, what you just said or did. Yeah, you don't even know what's going to catch someone's attention that you don't expect. Mm -hmm. So what I think is really interesting about this trope is that there's no reason for it to ever go away. So when there was a smaller population and travel was expensive and difficult, other towns were like other planets for as much as you knew. that Anything could happen and maybe you'd hear distant stories, but maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you'd never meet anyone from that town. And somehow today, even with a massive population and the internet and all kinds of travel, the town next to ours can still be just as mysterious. It kind of it makes me think almost like, um, like The Walking Dead a little bit when mm. they had all those different like compounds and all of them definitely had like their different rules and leaders even. Um, I don't know why I'm going there, but yeah, that's kind of what that made me think of too. But The Walking Dead is a great example of unknown dangers, um, even mm -hmm. in that kind of world where maybe people become more tribal or more communal. Like you said, they all set up their own roles and customs and norms and ways of identifying each other, ways of becoming similar. And so mm -hmm. it's almost at its core, like the very story of in-group and out-group behavior mm -hmm. is like... Wandering into a small town of people you don't know is a real trust exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think, and let me know if you don't want me to go on this tangent. Sure. Um, trying to think of an example where it's not an outsider that we're kind of following. It's like somebody within the community that, that maybe goes, hmm, maybe this isn't how things should be, kind of. The 
I don't even know if this is like a clear cut example of this, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking of The Witch mm. a little bit with, I forget her name. Was it Samantha? Sarah? The, Sarah, maybe Sarah, the, 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 mm-hmm. the, <laughs> the main protagonist in The Witch. I'm kind of thinking about that a little bit because, yes, the family was kind of excommunicated from like us a quote-unquote normal mm-hmm. uh small town but like they kind of became you know their own you know community together as a family and she sort of kind of had like this awakening sort of throughout the movie yeah i think that's a good example to bring up and i think getting into you know variations on this trope is the one of realizing that you are surrounded by monsters and you didn't even know it mm. You know, maybe the secret, just because you're in the small town doesn't mean you're in on the secret. So uh, one of my favorite examples is from the TV show Supernatural, where our two main characters stumble on this town and they need something repaired in their car. So they stop by the diner and essentially what they find out is this town has a history of annual sacrifices of couples so that they keep their prosperity. And... When one of the town's children is chosen, she rebels against the entire system and like ends prosperity in the town. So I think there's also a fear, at, like, why does the creepy small town keep the secret? To keep them safe, to keep them together. So I think there's also a real fear of not even just outsiders, but outside influence, outside thinking. It gets Ooh, at a real yeah. fundamental fear in your family of, I don't know, someone being taken from you, someone deciding to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way you said culty at the beginning, it certainly can be because um, a small town can be a cult compound instead. Um, it could be really anything where you create an in-group mentality. In-group mentality. That sounds super dangerous, not going to lie. And <laughs> kinda, also even, maybe a little bit relevant, yeah. <laughs> even though we all, we all do it in different ways with our coworkers and with our family and with friends. It gets dangerous when you're a town of people who decides to uh, like commit to mutual sacrifice to ensure your wealth in the future. <laughs> right. That, that that example you bring up also makes me think of that Shirley Jackson novella, mm, uh, yes. The Lottery. Yeah. Perfect example. And Shirley Jackson was uh, notoriously critical of small town life. Oh, did not know that. Uh, She was, I believe, an outsider in the town she ended up living in and raising her children in. And some of the paranoia she wrote about was feeling that in her life in this small town. So I think what you picked up there is that feeling of uh, like a distrust of small town life for this very reason. Mm-hmm. What are they all hiding? What decisions have they made together that you don't know about? It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's extremely creepy and unsettling. And when I was going through all the examples of this, it's everywhere. The Twilight mm-hmm. Zone, Criminal Minds, Supernatural, multiple episodes of The X-Files use this premise. Uh, the mm-hmm. Vampire Diaries, Haven on Sci-Fi. I, there's just a million zillion examples of this. Do you think that there's something like appealing to looking for these types of stories specifically? Oh, that's a good question. You know, as I was thinking about these stories, I was thinking they they certainly started as cautionary tales. Oh, you know, that's a good point. Don't go to the next town over. Don't stop on the road where you don't know. That's certainly the root of so many of these. 
Mm-hmm. Don't sleep in a strange place. Don't be vulnerable where you're not known is probably where these started. And then they got embellished and embroidered and added with monsters and demons and all kinds of fun things. But I, I don't know what I get out of it. Maybe it's a... I almost feel like it does the opposite of make me feel better. It, it feeds this perverse <laughs> horror need that I have to know, like, yeah, the world is weird and we don't know very much about it, actually. Like, there's all yeah. kinds of secret stuff going on all the time and we have no idea. And I guess that kind of interests me, where it's like, there's a zillion small towns around the world. And there's just so much that we'll never know about what goes on. And I find that really fascinating. You know what? Everything you just said, what slasher movie this just made me think of? Hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Absolutely. That's a great example. That Mm -hmm. movie is like the ultimate cautionary tale. Yes. Of like, hey, don't stop in this town. Just keep going. Yes. Like there is a reason. And I mean, on that same, uh, on that note, uh, did you watch Lovecraft Country? I have not seen that. So an interesting uh, other way to look at this is in, in America, there were sundown towns where African-Americans were not allowed to be after sundown. And that actually um, kind of becomes a plot point in Lovecraft Country where the sun is going down and they haven't made it past this county's lines. And that is absolutely a great example of this trope. It's not just a secret. It's the they're going to come for you. There's a lot rooted in reality in this trope as well. Um, I think there's also maybe something about not being that too far from our settler past where people went out and maybe we never saw them again. And we made up stories about where they went or the life that they had or what happened to them. I love that little kind of like evolutionary tie to it. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of these stories came from somewhere. Like mm-hmm. They came from someone having an experience, whether it was embellished or whether there was truly something horrifying in a small town they came across. And it definitely plays into everything that you've described, definitely plays into that fear of isolation as well. Because, you know, you're. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Think about being in a small town in a valley surrounded by mountains, for example, or only reachable by bridge. There are so many small towns that are strangely, like naturally geographically isolated. And when you're there, like Twin Peaks is a perfect example because even watching that show, you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. You could be anywhere. Kind of going kind of like the reverse of that to where it's not so much like a location, but more like community. I really mm-hmm. like the, one of the first examples you gave of Get Out because I was kind of surprised you brought that up because I was like, well, was that a small town? But it was definitely like a creepy small community with a secret. Yeah. I, it's like it wasn't a, exactly like geographically. That's true. It's like a neighborhood with a secret or like a, <laughs> like a cul-de-sac with a secret. It's basically a country club with a secret. Yeah. Yes. But absolutely the same idea. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, you know, some mm-hmm. small towns are 100 people. So the group in Get Out is... Um, just because they don't all live in one town. They clearly live close to each other. They share values. They share norms. They've established these patterns with each other so they can, they can read each other. And I think that was such an interesting part of the movie, especially for uh, like white people watching. Um, what is her name? Allison. But, but her name is Allison Williams. Yeah. And- so um, my point about Get Out, uh, especially once you've seen it once and you already know 
what happens, you're kind of seeing if you can pick up on the the in-group signals, if you can see like Rose making eye contact with her parents, if you can see the subtle signs, um, mm-hmm. if you were in the same situation. And I think that's that's part of the fun and the horror is, oh my God, I would probably fall into this exact same trap. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I just have a book recommendation. Yeah, I was going to, I was actually, I was about to ask you for okay. some recommendations. Cool. Um, so yeah, one of my favorites that I read last year is called Halloween Fiend. It's by C.V. Hunt. And it's all about this creepy small town called Strang that is basically covered in dust and the population keeps declining year by year. And the people who live there or remaining there don't seem to want to leave. And there's just this spooky, strange, weird atmosphere. Uh, and I won't give it away, but if you like this kind of trope, highly recommend it. That's awesome. Have you, by chance, done an episode on that book? I have, actually. Uh, thanks. Awesome. So I covered it on my podcast last year, and I didn't spoil it. So <laughs> just in case. <laughs> so everybody go check out that episode of Spooky and Strange, Halloween-themed. Yes, of course, even though it came out last uh, last spring. It's always time for Halloween. Always is for people like us, right? I mean, <laughs> thank you so much, Orly, for talking about creepy small towns and ones with secrets. Yeah. Uh, this, was, this was a lot of fun. And it's pretty eye-opening because this made me go, oh, there's a bunch of movies I've seen that are like this. and like, But it's not like in your face about it, you know? Uh, yeah, so, yeah this is it's a good story setting. It's a good base to tell almost any kind of creepy story because you have some kind of outsider who can act as your point of view, you know, introducing mm-hmm. you, seeing if they catch things, seeing if you catch things they miss. Uh, that's always fun. <laughs> Thank you again, Orlean. And everybody go check out Spooky and Strange and listen to that Halloween theme episode. That sounds like a really good creepy one, especially for, it's very on topic for what we just talked about, of course. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Creepy communities, small town communities, all of them with really dark secrets. It's a trope that I never really thought of before. It's always a pleasure to talk with Orlean because she brings up stuff like this that I don't even think of. She has really good episodes on her podcast, Spooky and Strange. As she mentioned, Halloween Fiend, which is only a 17 minute episode. Everybody should go check that out. She also has an episode on the Washington Irving short story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. That's only an 18 minute episode on her podcast. But if you want more, and if you're a fan of the Sleepy Hollow movie, like I am a big fan of that, if you go to Film on the Rocks and search for Sleepy Hollow, you'll hear an episode where me, her, and my friend Nate talked about the Tim Burton movie for over an hour. It's a lot of fun. And this trope, as I said, was something I haven't really thought of. And she brought us some lots of good examples like Get Out, Sleepy Hollow. Uh, something that I thought of afterwards was Children of the Corn is definitely one of these examples. And maybe Jeepers Creepers? I don't know. But anyways, I want to say thank you to Adam and Orlean for joining me for this. This was a really fun uh, kind of like special topics interview I got to do. I'm really excited for y'all to hear the rest of the interviews I got for you. I don't know which ones we'll be putting out next week, but be sure to stay tuned and that you are subscribed to Autopsy of a Horror Movie. Be sure to give Adam and Orlean a follow on their shows. I want to say thank you to Shelly 
Uh, Shelly's a really awesome supporter over at my Buy Me A Coffee page. She is part of my skeleton crew. If you want to be like Shelly, get these shoutouts, newsletters, and exclusive movie commentary tracks, head to buymeacoffee.com slash Horror. Also, please consider donating to the Spirit of Children uh, donation through Spirit of Halloween stores. That link is in my show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Brucker Horror. Share me with a friend, and I will see you next week with more horror tropes discussions. Goodbye.